Uh, today, we end our, uh, this conversation, this uh, collection, I think. Uh, there's something brewing that sometimes I'll get to an end of a collection. I'm like, mm, not quite yet. It's not, the chicken is not quite cooked all the way. And so, uh, but we have been going through this collection of conversations on significance. Because every human being, uh, you, me, everybody sitting in the room, wants to, to matter somewhere in life. I think when we become to a place, if we ever come to a place that we don't care if we matter or not, it's a very dangerous, a very perilous place in, in our lifetime. So we have talked each week about the, decept, this, the deceptive nature of our culture, which beckons us to substitute su success for significance. That if you only had this house, this car, this job, this thing, this status, whatever that thing is, that that would give you the, 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 uh, the quest, the, the, the thing you've been looking for. And in essence, it, it won't. And we've, we proved that over and over as adults. We wanted it as kids, but there is this sense that it really doesn't make us matter uh, that much to get all those things. Therefore, it is really a relational aspect that gives us this sense of uh, that we matter, that we're important. Especially, we have honed in on three words, which we've doubled kind of in an optical illusion. We feel important when we're seen, when someone notices us, when someone says, hey, good, good to see you. We center the conversation around Zacchaeus, who himself was not only short in stature, but short probably in being noticed. He was a cheater. He was a tax collector, but a crooked one. All of his life and his village and his city, the city of Jericho, I should say, he was one that people probably marginalized. They didn't ask him to go have coffee. They didn't ask him to have lunch. They didn't ask about his story because they didn't like him. They probably had been cheated or their family member had been cheated or somebody they knew had been cheated. So why would they want to hang out with a cheater? And so therefore, he, like being any other, like any other human being, he climbed that now infamous sycamore tree because he was short in stature, but he probably was short in significance when you read in between the lines of the story. Not only did he want to see Jesus, but just like us, there was something in him that wanted to be seen, or at least he was surprised that when Jesus walked through the crowd and made his way all the way to that specific spot and looked up, he must have felt that he mattered that day because probably it was the first time in a very long time that anyone ever looked up to him, both physically and relationally. And then Jesus said, I want, to, I want to hear you. I want to hear your story. I want you to be heard. I want you to be known. And those really, those three areas of our life make us feel significant. When we reached the halfway mark, we said, we, we made note that this, this, the gospel for those of us that claim Christ as our Savior, as our director, the director of our lives, when you're taking the gospel seriously, it's not all about receiving. It's not all about being seen and heard and known. The gospel calls us, demands of us that we turn that around. And Jesus made this promise that when you lose your life, you'll find it. It is a paradox and it's also counterculture. Culture says that get it, get it, get it, get it, eat, drink, and be merry, and you'll be happier. The gospel says lose your life, and you'll find a deeper 
reservoir of unanticipated significance. That when you give yourself and lose yourself, which is brutally difficult for us self-magnetized human beings, it's brutally difficult to subtract from ourselves to give to someone else. But when we do, we find this wow moment. There is like, man, that felt better than I thought it was because I was kind of clinging on. So not only do we find significance when someone sees us, when we're seen, when we're heard, and when we're known, but then we find this hidden cavern of significance when we put the effort out to see someone, to hear someone, to know someone. We also wanted to make sure that we remember that the expectations of each relational dynamic are very distinctive. When we come together in a crowd, as, as Zacchaeus was, the expectation in a crowd is that you can be seen. That's what I said. We hope that you'll be seen th today if you, this is your first time. That, that we can do. To hear you and to hear your story at length in a crowd is nearly impossible. It might happen by chance, by randomness, but it probably won't happen by intention. We just don't have enough time. There's too many people. That's why on Sunday morning we say it's good to see you, right? It's not good to hear you. I mean, it would be good to hear you if we had the time. That's why we say we've got to move out of just being present in a crowd to a proximity of being more in a group size dynamic. And if you're really going to be known for many, many years, I've been in so many groups and Bible studies and home groups and all that and recognize that I'm not really going to be known in a group. That's why the core of 360 is can we get, can we press beyond what is common or ordinary and get down to a table for two, and that's where we land today. How do we know one another at that deeper level? We begin today, as we have each week, we begin with God. Uh, and we, 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 there are many places in the Bible that we could go, but we're going to go back to Psalm 139. We are known by God. God knows us and has made a way to know us, and, and, and watch what he says in Psalm 139, where eventually, by the way, some of you like to know where we're going to land. We're going to land in 1 Samuel 18, for those of you that, that uh, bring your Bibles and track along, or you have a, a device on your, uh, your uh, or an app on your device, we're going to land in 1 Samuel 18. Before we get there, I'm going to frame it for you, uh, Psalm 139. David is praying, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Now, I just want to say before, look at the effort, that God has put the effort of searching, the, the, knowing each other. When we go to these levels, when we see we are at this level, in order to hear, it takes more muscle. In order to know, it takes even greater muscle. And I would propose to you the greatest level of relational muscle to really know you. Not just to say, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Great. How's your week? Good. Okay, great. Not that level. We, we know we're beyond that level. If God only knows us on that level, then we're all in trouble. But God intimately knows us watch this. Verse 2, God, you know when I sit and when I rise. 
You perceive my thoughts. In other words, you know them from a distance. You know or discern my going out, my lying down. Everywhere I'm going, you're GPSing me, you're tracking me. You are familiar, you know all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So look at the thoroughness that God knows us, okay? So I would say this to you. And we're going to move off this topic because we talked about being known, but I want you to see that God knows us. Ain't it nice to be known? I mean, isn't it, it, doesn't it make you feel at least somewhat significant, depending on your relationship with God? Some of you are reading this, you're very familiar with this passage, and like, man, that's, I'm reminding myself to the depth that God knows me, to the extent that God knows me, and some of you are basking in that. Some of you are like, okay, wow, didn't know that. It may be even a little scary. He knows my coming and my going and everything, even before I say a word, he knows that, wow. And so maybe right now you're freaking out inside, but that's okay, God is good and he loves you. And so uh, when he's tracking with you, so we're at all different levels of understanding that. But here's what I want to say. Even in our relationship with God, it's not all about just being the basking in the recip- as the recipient of being known. God has an expectation that we will also know him. In fact, Jesus made this very bold statement. If I said, okay, give me a quick, quick rabbit fire answer to the things that you, that when I say this, what, do you, what, what does it mean to you? Like vanilla ice cream, you're like, I uh, love it. Or, you know, uh, 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 oatmeal, hate it. Or wh- whatever that would, if I said eternal life, you would say, great, that's a positive thing. And most people think that's the afterlife. If I said, do you have eternal life? That means I'm thinking afterwards. But Jesus redefined so many things, including the after eternal life. He goes, watch this. God, he's praying in John 17. Jesus is talking to the Father. He says, now this is eternal life. It's not just receiving Christ so I get to go to heaven. We, my wife and I were just talking, we saw, saw something on the internet, someone saying, hey, I'm, I, I get to go to heaven now. Great, that's part of it. But that's not the best part of it. It's not the golden streets and the harps and all the, you know, the things that human beings, you know, superimpose on what's going to be more amazing than harps, golden street, uh, Stratocasters or whatever they're playing up there. It's that we get to know God. Again, we have to be with God, and then we have this relationship, this unhindered, unleashed, untamed relationship with God, and there's nothing going to be in between us. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, Father, that they may know you. It starts now. The expectation is that we can know God now that we have this relationship with him. In fact, in Jeremiah 9, 23, this is what the Lord says. Hey, if you're smart, don't boast in that. Let the wise men not boast of his wisdom. You got a high IQ? Great, don't boast about it. Okay, you can bench press 280 pounds? No problem, I can too. Can't you tell? Just kidding. Let the strong man not boast of his strength. Let the rich man, great, you got wealth, awesome, but don't make that centralized. Don't boast about your riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and he knows me. Now that's something to talk about. I know God, let me tell you about him, because when you know God, you talk more about him than you do yourself. So we sang this morning, God is a way maker. I think there are three primary ways that God has made for us to know him. 
three primary ways. There's a, probably a lot of you know, more uh, subtle ways, but three primary ways. Watch this, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Why? So Jesus came to the planet. Why? Many reasons, but one of them, so that we may know him who is true. In other words, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One of the ways that God was a way maker and allowing us to know him was that Christ came to earth and he said, when you've seen me, how I react, the things that I'm, I'm passionate about, the things I've liked, the things that have ticked me off, the things that I've given my life for, all these things, the relationships, the, the, the sacrifice, all those things. When you've seen me, you've seen God. So I've made a way for you to know God more because you've seen me. The second way is the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? He's given us the spirit of God among many reasons. Why? So that you may know him better. First, we've got Christ coming to earth. John said that which we saw, touched, heard. So we got to know God better that way. He made a way for us to know him through Christ. The second way is this mysterious indwelling, this residential uh, um, taking up uh, inside of us of the Spirit of God who gives us insight as to who God is. Remove the Spirit of God from our life, we don't get to know God. It's just that simple. Remove Jesus from the, the planet, we don't get to know God as well in those dimensions. And the final thing is the Word of God. Watch this, Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store my commandments, that commands within you, that's the Word of God. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, that's the Word of God. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding from my word, and if you look for the word and the truth as if it were silver and search it as if it were hidden treasure, if, formula, then you will understand the fear of God and find the knowledge of God. So three primary ways that God is a way maker. Say, hey, I, want, I know you. God is saying, I know you. I know what you think. I know you're coming. You're going. When you turn left, when you turn right, what you're going to say. Before you say what you're going to say, I know it. I know you. Now I want you to know me. But God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't make a way for us to, to be able to do that. When, God, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he's going, okay, I'm going to make a way for you to do that. He goes, I'm going to be with you all along the way. So when Jesus said, this is eternal life, I want you to know me, what if he didn't make a way? Just think about that for a second. Man, I want to know God. I don't have anything to read about him. I don't have any insights. I don't have the spirit of God. He's never visited the planet. I'm trying to know you, God, but you're not making a way. This is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is like the most amazing parent ever. See, I ask my kids to do stuff, and then they say, how? I'm like, figure it out. <laughs> Take the trash out. Where do I put it? You'll figure it out. Uh, we, we were watching, uh, we have this app on our phone. Our oldest son just got his driver's license. Let me just have a moment of prayer and fasting. <laughs> Boy, I thought I was nervous and praying when they got on the school bus for the first time. <laughs> it's a whole new level of prayer. Uh, people say, how's your prayer life? Amazing right now. Because my... <laughs> 
We were tracking him. We have an app that tracks where he goes and where he's going and all this. And the, and uh, he was going along, and uh, he, we let him go to, this, to, to a bowling alley for the first time, and we can actually see how fast he's going and all that. And uh, he pulled out, and uh, we should have gone this way, and he goes this way. And so, you know, we're like, I said, call him. I'm like, he'll figure it out. He will figure it out. He will make his own way until it got so bad that I did call him. I'm like, I'd, I'd take a left there. If I, I'm just trying to help you out, not trying to intrude or anything. Because when I saw him crossing into Gainesville, I thought, this is probably time for a call. I don't know. It's just a thought. I, I'll call him now. I believe that when it comes to knowing someone deeply, I'll, I'll, I'll say this for 60 seconds and I'll move on to a deeper level. People, there's always arguments and for, for and against discipleship tools, okay? This is our heartbeat. It's not about the tools. We're just trying to make a way for two people to, be, to sit at a table and ask questions they normally don't ask. Because I've watched the Christian culture now for 40 years and without any help to make a way, there's no magic in the tools and the content. It just brings people together and we've seen that it works, not because of the great content, but that it, it just brought people together and it begins to draw out and make a way for people, especially guys, because we're lousy question askers, to equip them to get to, to where it needs to go. However, I will always say, and when I'm doing training around the world, the last thing I say is, please don't depend on the tools. You've got to depend on God. You've got to depend on the Spirit of God to navigate. That's when true life change is going to happen. I don't care if Ravi Zacharias wrote the tools and you got these amazing tools and it's just amazing theology and it's spot on. You can take all of that and you can trash it without the Spirit of God doing something in our life supernaturally. So watch this. I think God makes a way for us to know each other if we are willing to move from the presence of a crowd into a proximity of a group to the privacy of a table for two. There has to be a willingness on our, on our, on our spot, on our, on our place, on our end. If we're not even willing to show up and be present, guess what? Nobody's going to see you. That just seems super obvious, right? If you're not willing to you say, hey, I'm a, I, I kind of like to keep things to myself, so I, I'm co comfortable on Sunday morning, and I never move into the proximity of a, uh, of a group, which I understand can be uncomfortable. I'm an introvert. I get that. But when you move into a proximity of a group and, and uh, you know, wherever your background is, maybe you're more private. I, I grew up in the South. I kind of kept things to myself. So cu culturally, we get that. But if you don't move into the proximity of a group, you're not going to be heard. It's just, it's just that easy. And if you don't, if you're like very like, hey, I, I'm, that's, that's enough for me, and I'm going to move to a table, I'm not going to move to a table of two, you're probably not going to be known at a certain level. And I don't say that judgmentally, I'm just saying that realistically, that there, there's your part, our part, God's part. And so if you're willing to move to that table for two and make a bold step, for some of you, I understand that's bold, but you got to trust God to do the things that you're scared about.
I'm going to say that again because I, I think I, I may have lost you about four paragraphs ago. You've got to depend on God to do the things you're scared about. There's a lot of things that I'm doing that I'm at 60 years old and places I'm going right now in my life that, that from a human point of view, it's a, it's a scary thing. And, and, I, and I have found that the more I push that scariness, that uncomfortability, that, that those uncomfortable places, the unfamiliarity, all those places when I go to that level and not just stay over here in safeness, I see God more there than I do here. If I just want to play my life safe and reserved and make sure that everything is okay, I will miss God and so will you. And so we come to this table of two, and guess what? God makes a way. So I just kind of, I, I, I want to go now to this, this story of Zacchaeus, and then we're going we're gonna to skip right to two guys that sat at a table for two, David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. Jesus invited Zacchaeus into privacy. We've got to move away from the crowd We've got to move away from, from even the proximity of those that can hear me right now. And we've got to get to a private place. And I remind you that the original language said, I'm, we're going to descend. We're going to park it. We're going to linger. We're going to ruminate. We're, gonna, we're going to uh, take the time that's required for human beings to get to this level. We live in a self-gratification, instant gratification culture, and it's counterculture because I really want to know you super well in uh, maybe 10 minutes, and it doesn't work that way. I was struck this week, and, we'll, and then we'll get to 1 Samuel 18, I promise. Um, I was struck this week by Revelation 3.20. It's a verse that we, we know a lot in the evangelical world, and, it's, and this is Jesus speaking to the Laodicean church age, and he says, here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock, and I'm going to keep knocking until my knuckles are bloody. This is God. This is God, with, this is Jesus with Zacchaeus. I'm going to keep knocking at your door until we break the code. No matter how you're wired, no matter what your father was like, your earthly father, what your parents were like, what your growing up was like, I'm going to knock at your door until we get there. And then watch what happens. He says, if anyone would really hear my voice on the inside and open the door, the invitation, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And it struck me that the same invitation that he offered to Zacchaeus, he's offering to you. How many people are involved in that verse? Say it out loud. Two. Jesus and whoever opens it. And look what they're doing. Let's come in and eat together. Let's come in and have a meal together. Let's come in and become one together. All right. First Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. Here's how I think. If you have the courage enough to take the invitation and to sit at a table at the privacy of a table for two. Here's what I think God does. This is the God part of it, okay? We could talk, I could literally talk for six hours of how our tools, 
you know, uh, uh, from a strategic point of view, get, get you there. But without this, what, these things, I think we're going to miss it, okay? So let's say you're sitting here. Let me contextualize for a minute. Let's say you're sitting here like, okay, mm some of you are like, sounds good. I probably should do that. Because there is, to put the effort into knowing someone is a requirement. I'm, I'm searching for the word. Is a requirement for a Christ follower. Why? Let me tell you why. For those Christ followers sitting in the room, we want to become more like Jesus, right? Very basic. Very, we want to grow into his image. Jesus has put a lot of effort in knowing you. And if I want to be like Christ, then I'm going to want to know somebody else. I just don't want to know about the Bible. I just don't want to know more facts about Jesus. I want to know you. I want to, someone in the room. I can't do it with a lot of people, but somewhere in the room, I'm called to know another person. And I'm called to know another person, at, at least one in my life, so that, that those lives can be changed. And what happens with changed lives, we're going to talk about next week, I think. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is David and Jonathan. If you don't know the story, Jonathan was the son of the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul. Saul had uh, gone off track. He became proud, and he was, and he, and David became his enemy. David was the second king of Israel, and he he became a fugitive from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. First Samuel eighteen verse one. After David had finished talking with Saul, the current king. Jonathan, Saul's son, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. You see, when you come to a table for two, and you only think from a cultural point of view, I want to re reinforce that this is not about just becoming good friends. This is about allowing God to create a supernatural bond between two people, which is impossible for, to happen if the Spirit of God is not living in both of you. So if the Spirit of God, that means I can have many great friends. Uh, I was at a wedding Friday night. Great conversations, but these friends are, of mine at this wedding don't yet know Christ. So the, the supernatural connection or the connection is not going to be a supernatural connection. There's something about two people. Jesus said, when two or three are, are gathered in my name, because you both have the Spirit of God inside of you, something supernatural is happening. God makes a way at the table. If you're nervous, if you're, if you're a Christ follower and you're nervous about coming to the table, I will say to you, remove that nervousness or push through that nervousness with faith and say, I'm going to go because God is going to be there and he's going to do something that I didn't anticipate. He'll make a way. He'll make a way. I've told you about the first time when we first planted this church. There was a, um, there was a, I, I was going to lunch with everybody in the church everybody, all 15 of them. It was uh, not a lot of people. And this guy was, uh, came to our church and he was a biker, like a motorcycle biker, you know, and I'm not. And we were quite, we were quite different. And he had um, eight tattoos. That's eight more than I had. And we were, and, and so I, he was the first guy I had lunch with at Taco Bell. I, w I thought, hey, let's go to the penthouse first, you know, and just take and really treat him. 
We went to Taco Bell, and on the way, I was so nervous of, uh, uh, because I'm like, what am I going to say? We're so different, and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new at this, and so it literally got down to the first question. like, How, how's your week? Good. Like, dang it. I thought, you know, a longer answer. My second question was literally, how's your taco? That's all I had. How's your taco? And unfortunately, the same answer, good. I'm like, wow. So we sat there in this really weird, awkward silence, except the sound of crunching taco shells. That was it. But God made a way, and we saw so much transformation in Brian. That was his name. Brian painted the walls of this room. And it all started with, he probably scared as I was, two guys sitting at Taco Bell listening to the sound of crunching taco shells. Because God made it all right. He makes the bind, the, the bonding. Watch this. I'm going to quote three times from Steve Saccone, Relational Intelligence, again. He writes, something transcendent happens when a person allows you to read through the chapters and view the scenes of his or her life. Most people want to invite us into their unfolding plot because by sharing this moment with them, we also become part of their story. You see, Jesus wanted Zacchaeus to be part of his story, but because they came together, now Jesus was part of Zacchaeus' story. We forget that in a self-centric culture. By sharing a moment with them, we also became, become part of their story. All this creates a healthy and dynamic engagement with the people involved on both sides of the relationship. We come together, uh, you know, a piano player and a biker. <laughs> and we come together, but there's a commonality in the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? I know, I know this is a little bit deeper than normal. But it's not about just building friendships. It's about a supernatural connection. Here's the, other, here's the second thing. Back to 1 Samuel 18, verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him because he wanted to keep his eye on him because he was trying to kill him and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. This is the very commandment that Jesus told us to do. And if you've ever tried to do this in your life, it feels nearly humanly impossible to love someone else as equal to as much as you love yourself. When we come together, again, Steve Saccone writes, as we discover the unique facets of a person's life, history, our interest simultaneously grows, and the person actually becomes more interesting to us, and a certain bond is formed. Here's what, here's what we're getting at. I sit down to a, to a table at, at, for two, and quite frankly, my mind is often distracted. I, I, I run a busy schedule. But something I've noticed happens, the more I ask questions and delve into the person, the more I become interested. But there's something supernatural happening, and it's the selflessness of the Holy Spirit at work. I didn't anticipate that. Listen 
very, very carefully for those of you that think you can do church at home, which would be none of you since you're here. <laughs> but for those that think they can do church on a beach, you miss the whole point of church. Church is not you having this glorious self-indulgent, spiritual self-indulgent moment of enjoying a sunrise or sunset in our case, sunset, and just saying this is glorious and this is church. It ain't. Church is people, and people are hard, and, and, and it's hard to get along and all those things, and you cannot become selfless when you're with yourself. Crazy, right? I know. You're thinking to yourself, that guy is really brilliant. No. You, in order to be selfless, to give yourself to someone else, there has to be someone else. I know it sounds ridiculous. But if we want to run from it, we'll never become like Jesus. And there's a selflessness that happens that you start actually caring about the other person. Crazy. Finally, watch this. I did read this thing about skin this week. I lead such an exciting life. I want, to, I want to tell you, I, I was reading this about one cubic inch of skin. So if you were to take you know, a knife and take one cubic inch deep, wide, and across of skin and pull it out, and one cubic inch of skin, there are three layers. You got the, the thin layer we see is the epidermis, and then you got below that is the dermis, and then below that is the subdermis. So you got three layers of skin. In one square cube or one cubic inch of skin, you'll find 20 blood vessels, 65 hairs and muscles, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, 13 for cold, 165 that detect pressure, 100, I don't even know how to say this, uh, I'm going to say glands, sebaceous glands, 650 sweat glands, 1,300 nerve endings, 19,500,000 cells, the sweat glands do double duty, they help el uh, eliminate waste and cool the body, and we could go on in one cubic inch of skin. What the heck does that mean? That means if we were just to take the time at a table for two and learn about one cubic inch of a person's life, there's more than just skin deep. So let me get a little passionate here for a second if I'm not already. The Christian culture in the United States is too skin deep that we just look at each other at a skin level and there's this reservoir of meaningfulness and that we matter and significance and losing ourself that if we were just able just to get beyond the skin, have the boldness to come to a table for two, then we're looking more like Jesus who knows when you turn left and right and even knows what you're going to say before you say it. And that's the end goal of every Christian to look like God and to give him glory. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, Jonathan did something that is so dramatically difficult for us to do in our self-protective culture. He took off his robe that he was wearing. He gave it selflessly to David, along with his tunic, his undergarment, his sword, his instruments, his occupation, his bow, his belt, he took it off. He took it all off. And in this taking off, there was this sense of transparency. 
and it's really difficult. It's difficult for me. I fight against self-protectionism, the way I was born, the way I was raised, I should say, my environment, my father, you know, and my generations, our fathers, when we broke up with the love of our life in high school, never looked us in the eye and said, how you feeling, man? How, how are you doing with that? How's your heart? Well, I didn't grow up in a culture where our dads asked those intimate questions. Now we're doing everything as dads, right? We're like down in the, down in the weeds. We're doing, you know, we're playing out in the backyard. We didn't have that. Maybe you've got your own baggage that somebody else packed for you. But whatever that baggage is, there's a natural inclination to keep it all to yourself and to t- hold on tightly to that robe. But Jesus said, I'm going to disrobe before the world and I'm going to disrobe in these relationships that's required. There's something that happens when we disrobe and we get close. In fact, I'm going to have a friend share in just a minute, but I have this microphone and, um, and that I'm going to see if it uh, cuts on there. Good. So there's this thing called, I'm going to cut this off and I'm going to start using this mic. And there's this thing, if we can cut the mic up just slightly, there's this thing called pro- the proximity effect that our filmmaker, Chris Hartman, was telling me about. If I, if I use the mic out here, it's a little hard to hear. And if I have it here, my voice is a little bit hard, h- higher pitch. If you get it, the closer you get it, the lower it gets until you get that Barry, Barry White, maybe. hey, baby, how you doing? I keep one of these in my car when I come home every night. Hey, baby, how was your, how was your day? <laughs> so, oh, you're using the mic next. Sorry, I spit on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's this, there's this sense that the depth of our voice in our lives get heard the closer we get. It's the depth of voice. One more, one more quote here. Watch this. People who take time to get to know what is most sacred about people will also be invited to have the most sacred kind of influence and people's lives. It's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. This is not about making friends. It's about influencing one another. My friend Doug Pohl, um, my very good friend Doug Pohl, shared with me this week a, uh, a phenomena, a spiritual, supernatural phenomena that happened. And I said, Doug, I'm going to ask you, from time to time, we need to hear these stories as the body of Christ. Doug, I'm going to invite you up. Doug's um, many things to us and our family. Good morning. Good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. So um, I'm in C12. It's an organization for Christian business people. I'm, I learn a lot about business, but it's also a very spiritual uh, uh, experience. Doug is the Southwest chairman of that, so we've become quite close. Doug is the one that speaks into my life and at a very, uh, at the table for two. Uh, Doug, I just want you to share uh, uh, some of the details of what happened uh, in, in your experience this week. Yeah, an amazing experience. Uh, what I'm about to tell you is true. 
Um, I've been pinching myself all week going, did this really happen? Uh, Tuesday, we had an opportunity to bottom line, watch one of our members come into a relationship with Christ for the very first time. And C12, typically you sign a covenant agreement when you come into C12 that you're a Christian. And I broke the rules with this particular person because God was um, drawing him uh, into our group. And I watched God's fingerprints uh, on this. And I said, you know what, this is going to be a different story. So I went to our group a few months ago and I said, I'm just going to use this man's first name. Um, I said, Sean has got a very difficult background, guys. And our team members around the table began to hear a little bit about what I shared. Um, alcoholic background, depression, uh, recently divorced. His wife left him for another, for another man, had an affair. Uh, very successful businessman. Uh, you'd look at him and go, wow, this guy's put together. Six foot three, 240, uh, tats from about his neck all over his entire body, very intimidating person. And I went to our group and I said, I think God's drawing him. And I want to ask you, our group, if you'll have him be a part of our group. It could kill the chemistry of our group. And they all looked at me like, let's, let's do this. So he joined our group several months ago. Um, I have not heard more colorful language in our group. Um, we're a, a Christian business group. so. Hearing colorful language, like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry I said that, and, oh, you know, it's just like, hey, we were ready for it. Uh, we've been praying, we've been uh, encouraging, we've been sharing Christ, and just nothing at, at that point. Tuesday, we met, and he texted me at 1.32 a.m. and said, I'm not coming today. Uh, my sister passed away unexpectedly last week. Um, he doesn't have any family, kids. Uh, his wife had left him, so... Uh, another thing that happened was his dogs are like his kids, and one of his dogs got in a horrible fight and almost lost its eye, and he broke his elbow trying to rescue his dog from this fight. So um, his truck had conked out. Uh, just all this stuff, guys, happened within a week's period of time, and it was Tuesday morning. He's like, I'm depressed. I'm staying home. So I told that to our group, and our group immediately, one of them picked up the phone and said, you're not going to isolate today. Get in here. Get in here. Two other guys texted him and said, you're not going to be by yourself today. Come and be with us. So he ended up coming at lunch. And we had that day, it's usually a group of about 12 of us. It's called C12, 12, 12 people around the table. That day we had about 10, but we had two visitors. One guy I had never met before who was from Chicago, and he was visiting our group. He was on vacation in Florida, and he just happened to be in our group. And he can do a makeup session anywhere in the country. And he was in Florida. He said, can I come to your group today? I'm like, yeah, come on in. His name was Jack. Jack was there and so was Evan, a guy who was visiting for the very first time and wanted to know more about what is C12. And I said, come on in and check it out. So we're in the meeting. We get done with lunch. And we have what we call issue time or open forum. We just open up the floor and say, hey, if you've got an issue or a problem, throw it out and we'll pray for you. We'll help you get through it. We'll walk through So. Sean raises his hand and just goes, yeah, I got a problem. Let me, let me tell you guys what's been going on the last week. And he pours out his heart, guys, about what's going on. And the team around the table is just like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. He goes, I'm depressed, trauma, pain. What's going on? Jack, our buddy who's on vacation in Florida, who I've never met before, through tears, says, I know pain. Sean, and I know trauma. 
Years ago, my 16-year-old daughter, who we love, stepped in front of a train and committed suicide. I know pain and I know trauma. And the only way you are going to get through this is to trust Jesus Christ. Could have heard a pin drop in that room. Sean begins to weep. Teammates around the table continue to share with him. The guy who was the other visitor, he said, two years ago, I became a Christian for the first time. Best decision I've ever made. Wow. That was lucky, wasn't it? I was really lucky having Jack there. I planned that all out from Chicago to be on vacation in Florida and sit in my room, right? I mean, this is a God thing, you guys. So we get around the table and others are sharing with him and beginning to pour into him and pray for him. And it gets to me and I'm the last guy I'm sitting directly across from him. And the word I've been sharing with him the last few months is surrender. If I, had a, I wish I had a picture of him, but he is a huge man and he could snap me in half. He doesn't surrender anything and he's never surrendered anything in his entire life. So I looked at him square in the eye and I said, Sean, are you ready to surrender today? And he said, through tears, yes. I said, this is not me praying for you. You're going to have to reach out to God. So he prayed to receive Christ in our meeting, and his team around him laid hands on him, prayed for him, and loved on him. An amazing Tuesday. I thought that was amazing enough, right? The most miraculous part happened after our meeting was done. And he still had some stuff he wanted to share. And he said, can you talk to me after our meeting? So we were out in the lobby of this hotel and he and I were talking together one-to-one -one, and he began sharing about some other personal things that were going on. And here comes this guy, stranger out of nowhere, comes up to us, reminder again, six foot four, 250, tats all over his body, comes up to us and he goes, hey, um, guys, I, I really hate to disturb you, but what are your names? Like, what are you doing here? He shakes Sean's hand, he shakes my hand, and Sean and I both stand up. And the guy looks at Sean and he, he does this, he, he, pats his, he pats his heart. And he said, Sean, I wanna tell you that God's given you a new heart. And he has taken away all the baggage from your past. He's removed it. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sin from you and he's cleansed you. And he has a great and a wonderful plan for your future. Sean, I don't know about your past, but I want to tell you something. God has adopted you into his family, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Guys, he is looking at me like, did you know this guy? Did you set this up? I said, Sean, honest to God, I have no idea who this man is. I don't know who this guy is. His name, by the way, was Paul. Paul. And he stops and he goes, by the way, what have you guys been doing today? And I said, we were just down the hallway. We we're having a C12 meeting. What's that? I'm like, what's a Christian business group? And, you know, I said, Sean just committed his life to Christ 30 minutes ago. Wow. He goes on to speak into his life things that only Sean would know. Shared a story about alcoholism. Sean struggled with alcohol his whole life. Like, this cannot be happening, guys. Last thing he says before he leaves. 
He said, this group will help you. Your C12 group will help you. I'm sure Doug will help you in your new walk with Jesus. But he goes, where do you go to church? Do you have a church family? And he goes, yeah, I attend this church down in, you know, down south. And, and the guy goes, that's good. I'm a prayer partner there, and I'll see you on Sunday. Wow. Can't make this stuff up. Right. Wow. I'm, I am not kidding. I pinched myself, guys. It's Sunday. That happened on Tuesday. I continue to go, did that really happen? Mm-hmm. Did Paul really? I mean, how did you know? How about, how about since then, Doug? Uh, what has been Sean's response to the, because I know mm-hmm. you guys have been in communication. Yeah. yeah, we've been talking, communicating. He's a big text guy. I got the, the longest text message ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he walks around his house and talks in text. So I've got this, this huge text message from him. Uh, he said, I'm scared. Um, he's never read the Bible. He's uh, 52 years old. He never read the Bible before we met. Um, again, horrible background, not a church upbringing. And um, now I've, I've, uh, I'm going to try to get through this without, uh, without crying. This is what he sent me, just a little a piece of what he sent me this week after he trusted Jesus. He said, I've started each morning reading prayers from the big book. Okay, you know, it's the Bible. Made sure he knows about Proverbs. The big book. I read two different devotionals, and then I end up reading Proverbs, and then I say my own prayers. I feel bad because I think I'm supposed to feel good, but I'm scared. I do feel a deep gratitude for the words that you spoke when you prayed for me and the embrace that you give each time I see you. The depth of loving kindness each time you look at me and the gentle and friendly smile you offer and your willingness to teach me and to help me see what I do not know. Thank you for never giving up on me during the time I was struggling before C12 and since I've joined. I remember our very first meeting like it was moments ago. I don't recall the words, but I do recall your demeanor towards me and the comfort I took from knowing you. You've helped change my life. You've helped save my life. You've helped save my soul. Thank you will never be enough, but profound gratitude for you will always fill my mind and my heart and my soul. So I'm reminded of these words that we read, that people who take the time Mm. to get to know what is most sacred about people will also be invited to have the most sacred kind of influence in people's lives. So the question that looms with me then Mm. in our conversations He joined C12 a few months ago, but how long have you sat at a table for two drawing out the most sacred parts of his life? Yeah, two years. There it is. Two years. This is a different culture that we live in anymore. Hmm. It used to be when I grew up, you could do door-to-door evangelism, and and you would actually invite the people in. But we're in a different culture. And sitting at a table for two matters. That is a stunning, stunning phenomenon. It's not a story, it's a phenomenon that's happened. And um, I want to pray for Sean, and I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us and knowing us, God, so deeply. Um, And God, I thank you for... And one part, for us, it's kind of scary, God, that you know what we're going to say before we say it. And you know us so intimately and privately that our mind 
often goes, at least mine does, to like, wow, I shouldn't have thought that said that, but knowing, God, how good you are and how good your intentions are, we can actually rest and it makes us feel like we really matter to you to be known at that level. And now, God, in a gospel mindset, you've asked us to search others so that we can be like you, and it requires so much muscle and courage at times to break out of the comfort of the crowd or even maybe comfort of a group and to go to a table for two. For some, that is just super difficult. But unless we were singing lies this morning, God, we all agree that you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, that you will be with us to the end. Light in the darkness. We believe that, God. And we, I pray for those that just believe that in their head, that they'll believe it so much in their heart that they're going to act on it. And they'll break past their fear of a table for two and, and knowing that you are a way maker, that even if it gets awkward, you're there. Even if we don't know what to say, you're there. God, today we pray for Sean as a new infant, a new follower in Christ, to strengthen him from the inside out, to give him God, a sense of your presence, an awareness of your presence. Pray, God, this morning, on this day, that he is in community with other believers and, and that he'll feel welcomed and supported and help him navigate this new chapter. And we pray, God, for the Shawns that are sitting here today that don't think that Somehow they're worthy of even being seen or known or even in the least to be loved by God to recognize that Jesus has loved us so much that he gave his life on a cross that we could have a relationship with you, God. Maybe that's you as we're sitting here in prayer before we go to worship. Have you ever asked Christ in your life? Have you ever surrendered? your grip on life, your control in your own life, surrendered your guilt, your shame, your goodness, your good behavior, and say, it's just not, it's just not gonna meet the, the mark. It's not gonna hit the mark, because God's perfect. And just surrender that and say to God right now, I come to you. I'm looking for you. That's why I'm here today. I'm looking for you, God. And I come to exchange my old life. You take my old life, everything about it. I'm, I'm giving it to you, God. I don't want to just be a recipient of heaven. I want to know you. And I, I turn from my life. You can have everything, God. I'm that desperate for you because unless you're that desperate, you're not going to come to God in an authentic way. I'm desperate for you, God. Maybe that's your prayer. And instead of depending on my goodness or being caught, trapped in my shame, I'm going to, in this moment, trust in Christ's sacrifice and love, what he did on the cross for me, for the forgiveness of my sin and the igniting of a new life. God, I want that. Maybe that's your prayer for the first time in your life. Would you give your heart to Christ? Would you give your life to Christ? 
would you give your control to Christ and surrender today? Father, we are about to worship to ruminate where you're landing us today. So we pray, Father, for your unique work as we worship in the name of Jesus. Amen.